we've been having some work done around the house, uh, and so I was um, moving some stuff in the garage. There's nothing, nothing more odious or fun than uh, finding out what you had in the garage that you've forgotten about and now are discovering. There are, it's an amazing kind of a journey. It got me to be thinking, though, because this sermon was percolating in my head. It got me to be thinking about family life as I discovered this and that, and an old memory came to mind. I, I, I remembered how, how my wife Debbie and her brother and all, all of our kids had gathered in the garage going through her father's keepsakes that um, had been shipped up from Brazil after his death. And clothing was given to this child or, or to that child to remember grandpa. And, and Debbie got all his music and his war stuff and his airplane stuff uh, went to Brother Pete. Valueless things to non-family members, but priceless things to a child or to a grandchild. When I was in the garage, I discovered that I still had my dad's college letterman's jacket and his spikes from being a shortstop at uh, Brooklyn Polytech in New York City. What do you do with that stuff when you get given it? Can you actually throw out your dad's college, high school spikes? Who, who does that? Yet who keeps them, right, for, for decades and decades? What do you do with that? My coach's supplies from when I coached the kids through football and baseball and soccer, I still have in a cabinet there. They're getting moldy and dusty, but I, I keep thinking, well, maybe Grandpa is going to do something. Am I going to coach again, really? Um, but they're there. They're waiting just in case in the garage. Families and their mementos have, have deep roots as well as far-reaching branches in our lives, don't they? My sisters don't think I pay enough attention to them. Uh, they're probably right. All right. They are right. Saying I'm too busy doesn't really work. It doesn't satisfy them. They drop by on occasion to help me pay attention to them. And actually, I look forward to it since I'm the baby brother and I get a lot of pampering. There's an emotional power. There's a spiritual power in family relationships. We experience our, our deepest love and sometimes our most painful hurts in families. We, saw, we find ourselves pushed again and again to be our better selves. And hopefully we finally experience that we are accepted. We are accepted uh, as we are. George Burns is remembered as saying, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. Few families are perfect, that's probably honest to say. Probably lots of skeletons in, in everybody's family, one way or another. 
Think about the biblical families. We don't have to get personal to our own. Uh, Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy, right? Jacob bargains with Esau for his birthright, then tricks his dad and Isaac out of Esau's blessings. Joseph's brothers are jealous enough that they want to kill him, but instead they sell him into slavery. Jeremiah's family deserts him because of his unpopular message. Even Jesus' family, one time, thought he was crazy. Yet families hold a, uh, a special place of esteem for us all. We recognize it's where we are from, right? An unspoken, an unspoken inheritance we get from our family, like, like maybe a, an ethnic tradition, uh, the way we converse, our food choices, the things we eat, or, or maybe um, how we go about dating has been dictated by what we've inherited from our families. Our families teach us there's a particular way to do things, and it's the right way, right? Holiday activities, the way in which those unfold, or, or maybe even the way chores are done or not done. Who does, who does them and who doesn't do them? All of which really is, in our heads, the right way the supposed way, until we break out of our shell and we meet somebody else, maybe we fall in love with them or we're a, a, a youngster having a sleepover at somebody else's house and breakfast just doesn't go the same way at that house as it went in our house. I can remember when this kid slept over our house and he wondered, where's the coffee? Don't you have coffee? Don't you have coffee, Chip, in the morning? I go, well, just my folks have coffee. This kid had coffee in the morning, apparently. Where did that come from? What do you do Christmas Eve? What do you do on Halloween? Is it really a, a gender-based job taking out the garbage in every household? <laughs> Just saying. Families form us and, and give us the strength. Well, they give us strength and they give us quirks, right? When I hold a tool, I cannot help but see my father's capable hands holding that exact same tool by trying to live up to my father. And when I hold a paintbrush, trying to paint a horizon line and a sunset, I just feel, I just feel my mother's artistic flair. She's, she's right there, right there with me. In my impatience, my father's demanding expectations come right out of me without much hesitation at all. And in my shying from conflict, I can, I can see my mother's disdain for argument. Our families, well, they help to open up possibilities also for us in our future. Perhaps there is a brother that helped a sister get into school or an uncle that was able to extend a job opportunity or a job connection to a nephew. Things like that happen in families. 
Recognizing all of this helps us to understand why family, why family is used so often in Scripture to describe our connection to God and our connection to one another through the church. Few images are as capable of conveying this many-layered and complex relationship like the word family does. And as we notice the value of family in our immediate, in our immediate earthly relationships, we are led by our scripture today to think about how our spiritual relationships might be best understood with that same value-laden term, family. Our scripture today conveys a, a Jesus teaching. We're in this season of looking real clearly at teachings of Jesus for us. Today's scripture, a Jesus teaching about faith and how it establishes a special relationship among believers. Some general observations about today's passage. Well, it's found in Mark and in Matthew. It's found in the Gospel of Thomas. The varying settings in which this lesson is, is taught is thought to, to vary as to who's presenting the lesson for us in their memory, in their gospel, and whether that uh, passer-on of this message was experiencing conflict between believers and non-believers, or perhaps maybe was experiencing conflict between family adherents to the faith and non-family leaders of the faith. But regardless of how it is presented, it is thought to be likely from Jesus, who is seen in other places in the Gospels as uh, pushing this understanding of family connections through one's faith, and how that might actually, depending on the circumstance, be a more immediate family and a more powerful family for some people. So let's look quickly at the passage that John read. Jesus is, is teaching to a, a bunch of folk. He's surrounded by all these folk. It's not easy to get at them anymore because everybody's around him. Yet his, uh, we're told his, his mom and, and brothers are there to, to see him and uh, he teaches this lesson. He says, uh, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my family. That's my brother, my mother, my sister. Don't hear the rejection of his biological family. He's not rejecting them. Don't hear that. Hear instead the larger inclusion and welcome of people into his heart into his family. His teaching, I think, is pretty clear. We are, we are part of Jesus' family when we do God's will. Not so much when we say, Jesus, 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 as much as when we actually live out the will of God through the teachings of Jesus. Those who follow God's will are family to one another. And we should regard them, we should regard them as such. 
treating them as we would treat family members, according them the privileges, uh, but also according them the responsibilities of family. This is a radical shift to the hearers of his day, a radical shift in affection and in responsibility to those who are hearing this out of Jesus' mouth. We are our brother's keeper. And that circle of brotherhood, sisterhood, is beyond biology. The circle of family is more inclusive than we first thought. Families, the first circle of family, okay, indeed, is our biological family. It's the, it's the basic group of life, of society, of neighborhood. Our primary circle of belonging, our, our, our primary circle of, of loving and caring and, and connecting. And when we lived in that time, kind of like as we live now, as we lived in that time, we knew that we belonged because we were part of that family. We knew we were included. That was a place that would look out for us, feed us, cover our backs, shelter us, stick up for us. Knew we were responsible for one another. It was the primary source of our identity, of our, of our platform for life. I still hear my mother saying, you're a dilge. Behave like a dilge. What did that mean? Well, it, it meant something. I knew it meant something. And so I watched mom and dad, and I tried to figure out what that meant. That was my identity. Um, I had to live into it, whatever it was, um, I had to live into it. I had to be that way. I should be that way. The first circle of our heart, of our spirit perhaps, is our biological family. And that family expands a little bit as we marry. And we notice in different cultures, uh, Lines through the female, lines through the male of connecting and responsibility. But we humans do this. We connect biologically. And that's our primary circle. Yet sometimes that circle is a nasty circle. It doesn't live out God's will of love, of caring. And it's a sad, a sad, sad situation that has has violence and uh, carelessness and, and disregard as a part of that intimate circle. Um, the sadness you see in a child's eye at 8 and 12 still trying to find a way because it's in, it's, it's in there that they should love their parents, yet it's so hard to love their abusive parents and that tension it's just a terrible, it's a terrible thing when this is violated. A terrible thing. But there is another circle beyond that circle of family, and that 
is what Jesus is talking today, and that's the circle of faith. A newly constructed family that comes out of a shared value system of one's faith. And our, our basic allegiance and our basic connections are expanded. Religious sensibility is added on top of biological connection. And our definition of family is kind of shuffled then. It's kind of shuffled. Religious traditions sometimes could disrupt families. We see that mentioned in the Bible, and, and we know that um, perhaps in our own lives. Who you married, how that was one of them, one of the others. People could get rigid, you know, right? People could get prejudicial. People could get judgmental. And what should have been an inclusive kind of a thing of drawing into this new circle became an exclusive kind of a thing. A kicking out. I think Jesus' love ethic and its drive to bring healing and wholeness to people were trying, were trying to establish family for people, many of whom were often left without family, without that basic relationship. He was throwing a, a lifeline out to the abandoned and to the lost. And he was saying, you are loved nonetheless. You belong to me. You're in my family. Yet he also was extending an invitation for all of us how good or how bad our biological family had been, an invitation to be woven into this larger family created by faith, into new relationships of consequence grounded in, in our awareness of our God connection. And that's the second circle of love in a family that, that's presented us. And thank you, Jesus, for making that, that clear to us that we have a family, another layer of family. But you know, with God as our creator, and I, and I don't know many folk, unless they totally disbelieve in God, uh, assert strongly that God doesn't exist, I don't know how many people don't see God as creator see God as the, as the animator behind all of this that is, behind creation. And in the truth of that, we can say that, you know, all of us are children to each other because all of us are children of this God. The Creator has made the creatures. And even though we kind of appear different in physiology, some of us are awfully attractive, super strong, right? 
able to do anything at a moment's notice, and others of us struggle with this or with that, right? Our appearances may be a little different. Our languages may be different. Our cultures may be different. But you know what scientists say as they study DNA? That we are 99.9% the same. Isn't that amazing? Because even among us, this homogeneous kind of group, look at all the differences that are here. It's amazing. We are that much the same. We are a closely related group of individual beings. We are more alike than we are different. And in truth, we are more or interdependent than we are independent. And if we perceive ourselves as many of us do as being created in the image of God. Each one of us is reflective in some amazing sacred way of our common parental origin. And if we were only to pull back the focus of the lens and gaze more globally, we would see family around the globe, populating the whole world. Our brothers and our sisters, all over the place. Not others, not strangers. Concentric circles, biology, spiritual consciousness, image of God. War is often thought of as a failure of politics, and I really like that idea because it, it kind of drives back that violence into a place where, well, maybe if we had figured out how to talk better with one another and how to work through things better, we might have avoided that violence. So I, I like that thought that war is a failure of politics. I like that insight, but it's really a failure of perception and of faith. It's a failure of family. It's fratricide, the killing of our brothers and our sisters. We practice our aspiration of global peace in our family by practicing our aspiration of congregational peace and we practice that by practicing our aspiration that we could just get along as a family. Hmm. So let's start to find the way to love one another. since we're stuck with one another, and since actually we're part of the same family. Yet this learning how to love family is 
not only pretty challenging, but it's the place where it all starts. Peace on earth. So let us start to learn, start to bend, start to figure out how can we love one another in our family better? Is there a way to be more loving? Is there a way to be kinder? Is there a way to be more respectful? Is there a way to be more encouraging and helpful? Is there a way to talk through the grudges that have just hung around for a long time? Is there a way to make peace? Uh, to let some things go? Is there a way to stand within the same circle and hold hands still and look into the eye and still feel okay? Is there a way to do that with the kids and the grandkids or the grandmas and the grandpas, even though they're wacko, they're crazy? Isn't there a way to do that? And let's think about it. Is there a way as a congregation that we might actually be able to put down the guns and the weapons and open the hearts and the mind and love one another? I know there's real knuckleheads in a congregation. I'm aware of that. I've been around 40 years, but there's saints also, right? And the knuckleheads aren't quite as knuckly head as you might think, although I hate to say the saints aren't really quite as saintly as you might think also, but I won't say that. But we're all, we're all just really okay most of the time, aren't we? Is there a way, is there a way to love and care for one another? as we're drawn together in a common love of God? You would think there would be, wouldn't you? You would think, you would think that maybe some, a leader of a country would say, go and kill those people across the border, and someone would stand up and say, well, wait a second, we can't do that. That's our family. They're, they're Christians over there. That's my brother and my sister. We can't kill them. Isn't there any way that that makes sense? Just like there's a way right here in this congregation to say, I can't argue and beat up on him. I need to learn how to love him better, love her better, to be friends, to be family. It's the, maybe the greatest challenge, really, if you think about it, of living out our faith, making what's real in our own heart of the power of love be real in our family, be real in our community, be real in our country, be real in our world. But you know what? That's what God wants. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, this is what we've signed up for. To find a way to be people of love and grace and live into it and make it real. So let's have at it. Let's give love a chance. Let's let love lead. Amen.